Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Yeah, we are celebrating more this morning than just some 90s theme songs. We're going to be diving into how we do church to make an impact. That said, will you put your hands together? Welcome those who are attending live online right now. We're glad that you're here. Hope you connect with God. Share this service. We want to beat out the 9 a.m. for shares. Uh, Thanks for helping us out. Hey, can we give it up to the ushers for getting everybody in here this morning? Great job, everybody. You fought the traffic, made your way in here, and we want to honor that you took time out of your busy weekend to be here this morning. If you are new with us, uh, we say it every week, we believe that no one is too far from God to experience life change through Jesus, that the church should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. So whatever you walked in with, man, we are honored that you're here, and I want to talk this morning about the mighty God that we serve, how he's still living and active and moving. And sometimes with all of the evil in the world, we fail to see what God is still doing. Now, I just want to tell you, even just within the life of the Mercy Road family of churches, it's incredible to see what God has done even in the last six months. Uh, We saw over 100 baptisms, many of them new believers for the first time at Mercy Road Anderson since they opened in August, they, yeah, they baptized, I don't even know what the number is now. It's like every week they just keep baptizing more people. And I'm like, I, we need to learn what they're doing there. Uh, and it, it, Mercy Road Northeast, things are thriving. God is alive and moving and active. And we want you praying for all the family of churches. But beyond that, in Multiply Indiana that we're a part of, there are going to be as many as 12 churches planted just this year. Uh, We've already planted over 30 churches throughout the state. We believe God is moving and active in a way in our culture today that maybe we haven't seen in recent history. And and you don't have to believe all that, but what I want to share with you this morning is that when God moves in every great revival throughout human history, it begins with a culture of humility and repentance. You're like, that doesn't sound like a fun sermon. It is, and I can't wait to show you the beautiful thing that we get to participate in. If you look at what happened in Asbury, Kentucky, when revival broke out and for weeks they were worshiping straight uh, just last year, it all began with this culture of worship and repentance. And so I'm excited for what the Lord is doing this morning. If you want to power on your Bible or turn in the one in the book rack to Isaiah chapter 40, by book rack, I mean the one that you walked in with, Isaiah chapter 40, and You know, the last two weeks, if you've missed this series, this is the third and final week. It's a very simple series. We've been talking about this is how we do church. And we looked at Ephesians chapter four for two weeks. That if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, invited the Holy Spirit into your life, that he uniquely gifts you. And I'm not talking talents and abilities. He's uniquely spiritually gifted you to fulfill the five ministries that we read in Ephesians four so that we could see the full measure of the fullness of Christ that the body of Christ could actually be used to make an impact, to help people in need and proclaim the return of Christ. And so what I want to do this morning, you know, I thought about, well, what should we address as our final week? I realized that we could get this all wrong. 
if we weren't careful. We could start thinking that we were special and that it's actually us who, this is how we do it because we're powerful, we're strong, we're smart, we sacrifice. And while nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves, I want to tell you this morning, every great move of God throughout human history begins with a culture of repentance because it requires more of God. And the, the, the God that we learn about in Scripture, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 40, has this very long chapter about the power of God and what he has come to do. And he's speaking both to the Israelite culture of their day as well as speaking to those of us after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, those of us today who understand the kingdom he's really talking about. In fact, this was written hundreds of years before Jesus. It was from one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. And everything changes in Isaiah 40. The book goes from destruction and the evil of Israel's sins to a new hope that's going to come through the Messiah, which means anointed one. The Hebrew word for anointed one is Messiah. The Greek word is Christ. They mean the same thing. He's talking about the, the coming of Jesus. And in fact, as we get into this this morning, I believe it's going to be a revolutionary for somebody in this room. And I did this at the last service. I didn't mean to say this. But I don't ever do this. I don't know why. I just said, hey, I want somebody to come down front if they, if they need to surrender their life to Jesus. And it was like God was speaking right to this one person. And I want to tell you this morning that God is with us. He knows what you walked in with. He knows the reasons that maybe it was even uncomfortable for you to come into a space like this or you didn't want to or whatever you got going on. And I just ask you in the short time that we have to make room for maybe what God wants to do in your life. Are you ready to study God's word together, church? Come on. It says this in Isaiah chapter 40. We're only going to look at the first nine verses. It says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. If you're not familiar with Israelite history, God shows that people group, said, you'll be my people, I'll be your God. I'll make your descendants as many as the sand on the seashore. And yet, they saw the fulfillment of everything God said that would occur, including the giving of their promised land, and they rebel against God. And he sends the prophets, and they don't listen. And so ultimately, they have the entire kingdom taken away from them. And he says, the time has come where everything is about to change. Enough is enough. You have paid for it, and I want to talk about what's to come. He's going to be talking about the Messiah. Verse 3 a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That's an important verse that you'll find in the New Testament, and we're going to break it down later. Verse 4, every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord is spoken, a voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? All the people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. If you're here this morning and like the writer of Ecclesiastes, right, that life seems like a chasing after the wind. The grass withers, the flowers fall, and it seems like there is no meaning to life. Over 100 years ago, there was a philosophical group known as the Nihilists that believed this very thing. 
and you feel like God has been distant in your life, what he's telling you today, what he's telling the Israelites back then, God is about to change everything if you will allow him. That there is meaning and purpose in his promises, his word endures. The promise he gave them that they would have a kingdom is gonna be fulfilled. Only it won't be a kingdom for a generation. It'll be an eternal kingdom that he's coming to provide them with. Finally, verse nine, you who bring good news, which is what we talked about last week, the church should share that good news. Go up on a high mountain, you who bring good news to Israel or Jerusalem, lift up your voice with the shout, lift it up and do not be afraid. Say to the towns of, towns of Judah, here is our God. Now, if, if you read that, say, here is your God. And you're like, why are you emphasizing that? It literally, in the original language, there's an exclamation point because it was emphatic. It was to declare to everybody, you don't know what you're missing. The power of our mighty God and what he desires to do. But he's not gonna mention a return to political power or a king on a throne or the reacquiring of their land. It's not that empire he's referring to, but the new hope found in Jerusalem and the need to tell others about it. If we wanna talk about this is how we do it, the main message this morning is the way we do it is to make God known, not ourselves, to make, we make God known. Will you pray with me? God, we pause and we just acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit in this room. And we all walked in here uh, with different things and um, we're gonna have plenty in the next uh, 20 some minutes to distract us from what you want us to do in our lives. And we just acknowledge that you desire to, to know us and to be known and that we get the privilege of experiencing your love and forgiveness and grace and compassion. And the truth is then it requires us to change. And that's the hard part. So this morning, we ask for your help. We cry out like the Israelites to our mighty God and say, God, help us, transform us, change us. We worship you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's family said, amen. Amen. Have you ever been too proud that you actually missed out on something cool in your life? I know I have. Uh, Just ask my wife, Lisa. She's around here somewhere. She will tell you that, uh, like C.S. Lewis says, pride can be the primary way the enemy gets at me in my life. In fact, I'll remember one, and this may not seem like a prideful thing, but it was. Uh, When my wife came to me with our last child, Jet, and she said, uh, before he was born, she was pregnant, she said, Josh, I really want you to deliver the baby. You did not seem as shocked as you should have seemed. I don't know if you didn't know, I do not have a medical degree. I have no, no talents or abilities that would rend her to think that I was capable of doing such a thing. But she was like, no, I really want you to do this. And I, I kind of laughed and I was like, no, I'm not doing that. And there was this part of me, there was this like pride that I wouldn't even consider it. And then if any of you have been married long enough, you will know that I had to begin to reconsider my thoughts. And she was like, no, I don't think you understand. I'm the one that's pregnant with a child and I'm asking you, asking you 
that you would deliver? And I said, well, I'm not a doctor, so the doctor would have to approve this, which I knew there was no way that was gonna happen. They're not gonna let me into a hospital to do such a thing. And she talked to the doctor who kind of become a family friend of ours, and he was like, yeah, sure, why not? Let's try it. (laughs) This is a true story. I was like, are you kidding me? He's like, well, I'll do all the medical stuff, but like, you can, you can deliver the baby. That's like the easy part. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. And so then I finally, I had no excuses anymore. Now, I won't tell you about everything, obviously, of what that day was like, but I can say this. On the day that Jet was born, I'm pretty sure I could have been a catcher in the major leagues. Like that was, my skill set was unbelievable. Uh, it was actually really easy. Anybody could have do it, done it. Uh, it was that simple. And I, I look back at that moment and I think, man, I'm going to be totally honest with you. In my life, like that is top 10, might even be like top three life experiences I've ever had. You're like, don't say that because not my wife. She's here. Like, I'm never doing that. <laughs> I don't like the sight of any of the blood. Or anything. Like I just, but it was incredible. And I almost missed out on it, not because I was convinced not to do it, but because I literally was so prideful, there's no way I was going to do it. And I want to tell you, man, I think sometimes our pride, our arrogance, our ego, and I'm not just talking to the men in the room, all of us, we miss out on what God could be doing in our lives because we instantly say no to things. We don't go and help our coworker talk to them because we have these fears about what that experience will be like. And you may not call that pride, but the truth is we don't want to be put in a place of uncomfortability where we don't have all the answers. What else would you call that? But some ego involved in that. And so I just want to share with you this morning, I believe what we're talking about is actually really hard. C.S. Lewis had this to say, it won't be on the screens, but he wrote an article and he said, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, like sin, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Instead of pride, what actually allows God to show up in our lives is what? Humility. This is clear over and over again. If you read read the fruit of the Spirit in the New Testament, love, joy, peace, patience, guidance, faithfulness, self-control, like all of those things are kind of not allowed to occur if we have pride. But if we have humility, God can show up and reveal himself and the, and the fruit of the Spirit in our lives that people could actually see God at work today. So what I want to share with you this morning to break all of this down, it's really simple. We're going to walk through those nine verses that we read together. And I want to demonstrate something that isn't actually even in the verse, which I would never normally do that. But I think it's the underlying essence of what we need to take away. And that is this. If we want to reveal God to the world, we must kneel to reveal God. Plus it rhymes, so I thought that was cool. That, you didn't seem as excited as I thought you should have been, but we, we must kneel to reveal God because it's through our humility where the, the powerful, mighty God that we serve is allowed to show up and impact our community. 
How are we going to do it together? It's only going to happen if we allow God to overflow in our lives and that people witness and experience him. The first point I want to make from Isaiah 40 is this, that we need to get ready because here he comes. If we're going to reveal God through the act of humility and allowing him more in our life, you better get ready. Expect him to show up. Look what verse three said. This is an important verse theologically in the Old and New Testament. It says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So he says, prepare the way for the Lord because God is coming. And where is he coming through? He's coming on a highway that he's making from where? The desert. Now that might not seem significant, but there were major roads within the Roman Empire eventually But in this time period, before that occurred, there were still major roads that would come into Jerusalem. They might have been from the northeast, from where uh, Babylon was, from the south, where Egypt was. But it definitely wasn't from the southeast, where the Arabah, which was the desert, the wilderness was. There was no roads from there. It had been too difficult to travel. Look what the scholar uh, John Watts says this about this passage One might expect that this would be for pilgrims returning to Jerusalem or for those who would resettle the land, but the highway does not come from to Jerusalem from the northeast or from the north, i.e. from Babylon, or even from the south, from from Egypt, where the diaspora is located. The wilderness spoken of here is in the southeast, the Arabah, and the one to travel on it is Yahweh, our God. The message is clear, get ready, Because God is coming. And he's not coming the way that you would expect him to. He's going to come through the desert and he's going to make his own path in the way that you think is impossible. Some of you here today think that God could never use your life to change someone's life for eternity. But when God shows up, he can make a highway in the desert. Well, some of you are here and you have given up hope on a family relationship, on a marriage, on a a child, on your parent, on your grandparent, and you've given up hope for transformation. But when God shows up, the impossible is possible. He can make a highway in the desert. See, we won't get into the verses that happen after verse nine, but it talks about the mighty God that we serve. Who are you gonna compare him to? You, you can't even come up with any comparison that is even comprehensible to the infinite power of a God that created the universe in six days. So don't think that he's not powerful enough to address what he desires to address. Now, here's the thing, though. Let's pause. We're going to get to his power a little bit more later. But I want to ask you this question that I think we all have to ask ourselves. What would you do right now, right now, if you knew God was coming? If Jesus was returning right now in this moment, what would you do? A few of you, maybe you would begin to get excited and prepare for the return of Christ and can't wait to to spend eternity with him in heaven and you get excited and there's a peace that comes with that. But I imagine for many of you, that's not what you're thinking. (laughs) I imagine for many of you, if we're being honest for just a second, if Jesus was gonna return in this moment, you'd be going, oh man, wish I hadn't said that this weekend, done that thing, thought that thought. 
experience that experience, right? Like, I, I wish I would begin to think about all the ways that I need to beg God for his forgiveness, and a little panic overtakes you. I, I know what that's like a little bit, to, to experience that. I've experienced that in my own life, and my own walk with Christ, that nobody is perfect this side of heaven, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And it's almost like this, you know, I, I grew up in a small town in Indiana, but I moved to California right out of college. And I, I went to grad school, to seminary out there, and I started working in a large church. And I remember I was in a meeting with a group of about 12 or 13 pastors in a big boardroom table, and I experienced my first earthquake. Now, anybody from the West Coast, you've experienced an earthquake before? So yeah, so like the, the three of you were like, oh, big whoop, like that happens all the time. I had never been in one of those. I had never experienced it. I was from a small town in Indiana and we're sitting there in this old brick building and the, it was only about a four and a half uh, on the Richter scale earthquake, but the epicenter was about uh, 10 miles from us. So you could feel it. And the building began to shake and we're all sitting around this table and it went on and I start panicking a little bit. <laughs> I'm like, what's about to happen? What's going to happen? I'm freaking out on the inside. Oh, my goodness. And then it started to calm down a little bit. And I was like, oh, thank goodness. I didn't show my panic. And then it started shaking harder. Like the real earthquake came. And everything, a few things started falling off of the walls. And I start freaking out. And you ever have a moment where you're freaking out on the inside, but you're hiding it, and all of a sudden it bursts through like a geyser? Right? And like, I'm sitting there at this table with all these other pastors who are used to sort of this thing. They're kind of smiling at each other. It's an earthquake. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I'm not joking, I pop up out of the chair. I knock the chair back. Pastor Lois, who was an amazing children's pastor, just happened to be sitting right next to me. She was slightly older than me. And I jumped up, popped my chair back. I realized the door is over there. I'm not making this up. I full on elbow Pastor Lois, almost knock her out of her chair. I take off running towards the door. By the time I'm like tripping on the way, by the time I finally get to the door and I open it and I'm in the middle of the door running out, the earthquake stops. And I look back and everybody is staring at me trying to run out the door, looking at Pastor Lois almost on the floor. I was slightly embarrassed. I know what it's like to feel like a moment of panic and freak out, and I gotta like get things in order. It's some of you spiritually, you, you lack the shalom of God in your life that you could just be experience whatever hardship you're going through without a, a panic overtaking you. And if Jesus was actually to return today, you would freak out and panic on the inside because you know what he knows. And I just want to encourage you that, that the God that created you, that is paving a way for you, that will send his only son for you, he brings compassion and forgiveness and grace along with his truth, absolutely, but until he returns, until the last moment, the last breath that you have, he is giving you the opportunity to receive his grace and his forgiveness. But it only comes with honesty. And as we'll see later, with repentance. And so that first point might be the most important point of this morning. Get ready, because he's coming 
but you don't have to live in panic. The word shalom in Hebrew, it means peace. They would greet one another and say goodbye to one another with shalom. Shalom on this house, shalom to you, because the peace of God resided their lives and they didn't have to live in panic and fear. Number two, if you're taking notes, if you wanna reveal more of God, God has to level everything in your life. This is the hard part. I told you change is hard. Look at these verses. Every valley shall be raised up. I want you to picture the valley floor physically being raised. It says that every hill or mountain will be made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places plain. And the glory of the Lord will what? Be revealed. When he makes that straight path, makes a highway in the desert, does what's supposed to be impossible, he's going to level everything. And it's then that he will be revealed. And all people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I don't know about you, but we often approach God as if we would love for him to come in and fix this small part of our life. God, I really want a husband or a wife, and I'm just praying, God, please provide that person for me. Look, I think you can pray any prayer and God desires to give you the desires of your heart, Psalm 40, but that only occurs when they're his godly desires. And you may be praying and crying out for one small area. Maybe for you, it's, it's not that. Maybe it's God, help me to be able to pay my bills this week. Look, these are good prayers. There's nothing wrong with them, but I want to, I want to get to the point of this passage. Or maybe it's another small area of your life. God, God, help me at work with this frustrating relationship. And we want God to come in and fix this one small part, almost like a surgeon with a scalpel, like cut out this one little thing and fix this little, one little thing. But what God often demonstrates to us is that's not how he works. He doesn't want to come in and fix one small part of what you envision as your perfect life because you have no clue what your perfect life even is. He wants to come in. What did it say? He wants to make the valleys raise, the mountains lowered, the rough ground straight. He's not coming in with a surgeon's scalpel. He's coming in with a bulldozer. And he's going to wreck everything in your life. How many of you have ever prayed that prayer? God, please come in and wreck everything. Like, totally ruin my life this week. But the reality is, what does it say in the New Testament? He says that uh, your desire to be a new creation. The old could be gone. The new could come. The new creation, it's a, literally in the Greek, it's a complete metamorphosis. It's like you were one thing and now you're another thing. If you don't allow him to come in and just bulldoze everything, you can't really invite the supernatural, almighty powerful God that we read about in Isaiah chapter 40, because he's going to make a, a, a path, a highway in the desert. He's going to do the impossible, but he's not going to do it the way that you have told him to. So when we pray for, uh, uh, if you pray for a husband or a wife and you say, God, I want this, he's going to say, okay, I want to work to provide that. But first I'm going to also work to help you become the person that will have a healthy relationship with somebody. If it's like, Hey, I want, need help with my kid and the struggle that I'm having. He's going to say, okay, I'm there for you, but I'm also going to teach you how to lean on me as a parent all the time. Not just when you're desperate say, okay, I need help with my finances. Great. I'm going to come in and I'm going to reorient your whole look, uh, uh, how you view finances and I'm going to transform everything because uh, I want you to come in 
in and I want you to help with this reconciliation work relationship where I say, okay, I'm going to come in, but I'm also going to teach you how to lean on me in every instant and live with integrity in a place where people often don't. His desire is to come in and change everything to provide you with more than just one specific need, but to help us become the people he created us to be. If you want to reveal more of God, you have to allow him to level everything in your life. Number three, if you're taking notes, then you have to cry out because you will fail. <laughs> Romans 3.23, all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody is going to fail. The difference is those are honest enough to cry out to him for help. Look at verses six through eight. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass. All their faithfulness is like flowers in the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the, our God endures forever. Yes, people come and go. Yes, life can seem meaningless at times. But I'm here to tell you, he says, that I bring meaning to life that the word of God endures forever. And so what you need to do when you get lost and you are hurting and you feel alone and you feel like no one cares, you need to do what did it say? Cry out. Like cry out to God. But what keeps you from crying out to God? Think about it. What did we start this whole thing with? Our pride, our fear of what might happen if we do that, of what he would want to change some things. You said that whole bulldozer thing. I'm not ready for that, right? Like we have to get to that point where we say, I'm going to be honest about what's going on in my life and I'm going to cry out to God, which is really what the word repentance is all about. Saying, I'm not perfect, God. I've been doing my life my way. I'm going to cry out for your help so that I could do a 180 and begin to live my life, not as I want, but as you want. Because you are the mighty God that nothing on earth compares to it's not my, my willpower, my effort that we're going to change things. It's not by us working hard together. It's by God working through us together that we're going to see impact made in our community, around our state, and around our globe. And I just want to encourage you with this because some of us then go, well, you know, I don't really want that type of faith because the truth is, uh, well, you just said it, we all struggle. But I want to tell you this. Some people, when you allow the bulldozer of Christ to come into your life and change everything, there are people today who, you ready for this? Don't cheat on their taxes. There, there are people today who don't live promiscuous lives. There, there are people today that honor their father and mother. There are people today that don't berate their children, but actually want to teach them the ways of Christ in a way that grows them into the person that they're called to be. There are people today that care for orphans and widows. There are people today who don't gossip about one another behind each other's back. There are people today that God is revealing himself to the world through, but it doesn't come because they're better than you. It comes because they had the humility to hit their knees in prayer and to ask God and cry out to him for help. And so in this passage, he says, cry out, cry out because I'm here. And the fourth and final point is this. We need to desperately cry out to the mighty God whose word endures forever. And then we need to share the good news of our compassionate God with a world that desperately needs it. That we don't just hold on to what he's done in us, 
we share it with other people. Look what verse nine says. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Now, hear this. One, that means you have to get over your, humil- or over your fear and your pride and not be afraid to talk about what God has done in your life. Hey, uh, Hamilton County, North Indianapolis, here is your God. Now, some of you, you, you read that and go, the, there could be an opposite of that where it's like saying, I'm great. I'm this great person. No, 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 no. You've missed the whole point then. That is not what it's describing here. We're not the self-righteous, angry person on the bullhorn telling everybody else how they're bad and I'm good. That is not what he's saying is. He's saying you're pointing to the compassionate God that you've experienced. And and that means this, that for for some of you, you're like, dude, I I mean, come on. I could never talk about God to people. I, I, I can't do that. I don't have the right verses memorized. I didn't go to seminary. I wasn't even raised in church. People make Sunday school jokes. I don't know what they're talking about. I've never seen a felt board, right? Like, it's okay. The reality is you can't do this because all you have to talk about is what God has done in your life. How he's forgiven you. How you're trying to live your life differently because of what he's done in you how you've experienced that you'll never be alone again because he is with you, Emmanuel, God with us, or whatever it is that you're facing. And anybody can do I know you can do that because you'll talk to everybody all day about sports or about what movie you watched or like, dude, did you see the thing on Netflix, right? You'll talk about whatever thing that you're, you're passionate about. And I wanna say that you can do this. You can talk about it. And if you feel ill-equipped, I, I, it's okay, Because the second part is this. Not only can you talk about it by just talking about what God has done in your life, just as you do that, don't make it weird. Can we all agree on that? Like if you, let's say you wanted somebody to come on this vacation with you and it sounds like a fun trip to to go together. How many of you would go to that person with like a memorized script and be like reading, hey, I just wanna cite this thing of why you should come and this this thing and then it's, it's warm this time of year in Florida and then you've got this. Like that's not exciting at all, is it? But if you went to them and you're like, dude, I love you. I think we'd have a blast to hanging out together. You gotta come and do this because I went last year and this is what it was like. It was awesome. You can do that with what God has done in your life. Look, you know me. I used to be like this. And then like I I met God and like rather than feeling judged by by Christians, I experienced his love and grace and forgiveness. And then I realized I need to orient my life and change things. That's why I've been doing this. And like, I'm not perfect, but I'm learning. I'm telling you, I don't want you to miss it. I remember the first time I ever did that. I was uh, traveling in, I was driving in a truck in a small town to Greenville, Ohio. I still remember this. And I turned to one of my buddies, been best friends with my whole life. And I said, hey man, I don't wanna make this weird, but like in the last few months, I like devoted my life to Christ. He was like, what? I was like, look, I'm not telling you, you have to do anything, um, but I wanna tell you what he's done. It's been incredible. And I think you should uh, live, live your life for Christ too. And, and he was like thinking I was gonna move to like judging him and telling him why I was a good person. I was like, no, 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 I, I'm fine if you don't. But like, I want you to know it's my job to tell you what God has done in my life. He never got offended. Here's the thing. I've never had an atheist or an agnostic person get offended because I share what God has done in my life. Now, if I start self-righteously telling him why I'm a better person than them, yes. 
But if I just tell them about what God has done, man, that is an attractive thing in a world that desperately longs for meaning and purpose and love and compassion to know the God that we serve. It says later, he is a mighty God who is compassionate, who compares to nothing else in this world. And here's what you need to do when you share that, that message that, that God doesn't doesn't hate you because you've been greedy. He doesn't hate you because you've been promiscuous. He doesn't hate you because you've talked behind people's back and gossip. He loves you and desires for you to come home and experience the love and forgiveness and grace that he offers to you. But you do have to, to do something. You have to do this beautiful thing. Repent. You get to repent because he's a compassionate God. Because he lavishly offers his love and forgiveness and grace. But there will be a time when Jesus returns and we won't be given any more opportunities. And at that time, there will be a judgment that occurs based on what we've done with what Christ has done for us. You see, the final point, or in this final point, the final passage that I want to read is this. They refer to Isaiah 40 in the Gospel of Mark. In fact, Mark chapter one begins with this in verse one. The beginning of the good news that you're supposed to share about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him, a highway in the desert. And who did he send to do that? Verse four. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He says, guys, guys, you can still draw near to God. It's incredible. But, but you're going to have to repent and, and ask for his forgiveness and say, I, bring the bulldozer. I'm done doing it my way. Make me new and help me to walk in your path, in your ways. I want to walk on that highway that you are making for me where the impossible is now possible. He doesn't finish there, though. Look at the following verses. The, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel hair with a leather belt around his waist because he was nothing special, and he ate a locust and wild honey. And this is, was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. We talked about using your spiritual gifts to make an impact that comes from the Holy Spirit that came because Jesus actually redeemed humankind and the beginning of all of it. Revival in our culture but begins here in us as individuals and then begins to pour out in the community around us when we declare the mighty God that compares to no one else can live in me. It only happens when we get rid of our pride. We allow God fully in and in humility, kneel before him and cry out, God, I need you. And he does this beautiful thing. He gives us the opportunity to repent of our wrongdoing and draw near to a perfect God. I know this. I've been doing this long enough that in this room right now, every single human being, every single one of us has something we need to repent of. And maybe that's old school and like not cool anymore. I argue that young people are desperate for honesty. That in this room, there are those of us that we, we're not being used by God and we're about to miss out on this great thing that he wants to do in us because we know we've got some wrongdoing that, that he already knows about 
but we haven't confessed it and we haven't repented of it. I'm not sharing that to judge anybody. I'm saying 100% of us have something. And so as we close out, I just wanna give you the opportunity to respond to that. So we're gonna take a minute or two and just offer a moment for, for repentance because every great revival begins with that. Will you pray with me? God, thank you that you're with us. Thank you that you haven't given up on us. Thank you that you not only came for, to provide for the Israelite nation, but you came for all of us who will surrender to you. And there are some of us, all of us in here, God, we know that there are things that are separating us from you. And rather than denying it, we're just gonna admit it and do this beautiful act, repent, to ask for forgiveness and change our ways. Bring your bulldozer, God. If that's you in the room right now, not out loud, but just quietly, just confess to him whatever sin or wrongdoing or things that you have guilt or shame about and be free of it. Take the time right now. confess to you that I get so selfish with my time, with my energy of where I want, what I want to do. Miss out on what you're doing in others, in my own kids and my wife and are listening to what you're doing in the world. God, I repent of my ego. Forgive me, Lord. God, there, there are some of us in the room right now that are struggling with lust. We're struggling with addiction. We're, we're not an honest person at work. Some of us, God, we got that thing in our past that like we've never told anybody. And God, maybe just today that you're speaking to each of us in this room right now that we could no longer bear that burden, carry that baggage around and be forgiven. I think of those who had confessed to heinous crimes in their life. God, I think of those who have confessed to, to, to cheating, to doing awful things. And yet, God, it's only those who are honest that get to experience your grace and forgiveness. And so right now in this room, God, maybe there's even somebody who they've never allowed you to, to totally bulldoze their life, to wreck it and make you new. And maybe there's somebody who wants to pray a dangerous prayer with me right now to say, I'm overdoing it my way, wreck my life so I could be used by you to reveal you to a world that needs it. If that's you, pray with me silently as I pray out loud. God, I confess that I've been doing life my way I pray right now, God, you come in with your bulldozer and you ruin and wreck it. I don't care anymore. I surrender every aspect of my life to you. Make me new in your eyes, a complete metamorphosis. And on this day, I surrender everything in my life to you as Lord. Use me, Lord Jesus. We worship you. We declare you Lord of our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen.